0: Hello, and welcome to the AMA Steps Forward Podcast series. We'll hear from healthcare leaders nationwide about real world solutions to the challenges that practices are confronting today. Solutions that help put the joy back into medicine. AMA Steps Forward program is open access and free to all at stepsforward.org. Well, welcome to the AMA Steps Forward Podcast. I'm Dr. Marie Brown, an internist here in Chicago. And I am joined today by Dr. Katie Duffy, the Chief Medical Officer at the LA LGBT Center. Welcome, Dr. Duffy, and thanks so much for taking the time out of your incredibly busy day.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me. I love talking about this kind of thing.
0: Well, we really appreciate it. So could we start by having you tell us a little, about,
1: little bit about yourself and the center? Sure. So I, um, I'm fairly new to the LA LGBT Center. I'm from Chicago originally. Um, and I started here in January of 2020. So right before the pandemic, um, I was the inaugural medical director for Audrey Lorde program. And our Audrey Lorde program is dedicated to those folks who have identified as a woman or a girl at any point on their journey. Um, in the LGBT health world, this is a population that Often hasn't gotten the focus uh, of other groups, particularly with the HIV crisis. Um, so I was hired to, to build that program, and then um, with the pandemic, um, you know, our focus shifted and our CMO retired, and so now I've stepped into um, into that role. Um, but I'm a family I'm a family medicine uh, doctor by training. I've worked my whole career pretty much in LGBT health. So this is my professional home and this is my, the population um, that's most that's closest to my heart. Wonderful. And I should say that uh, when I introduce myself
0: that I use the pronouns she, hers, uh, which you. we yes. all hopefully at the end of this uh, podcast, we will all begin to do if yes. we're not doing it already. So let's get started. Why do we really need to have this conversation amongst our colleagues, our our physician colleagues and our, our teams and our nurses. Is the current or the past experience of many of our patients in the LGBT community that different? Uh, do they have different insurance? Is there different socioeconomic challenges? And have they experienced healthcare
1: differently? What's the uh, research out there? Yeah, so I, th- I think we are definitely making strides um, as a medical community, but there's still quite a bit of work to do. When Before I came to this job, I was the medical director at the Broadway Youth Center in Chicago, which is a, a, a drop-in center for LGBT youth experiencing homelessness. And we had a clinic embedded. And I, I got into the habit of asking the young people questions about their experiences with the medical community up until that point. And part of it was an informal exercise just to see, was, were there any points that, a doctor, a caring doctor, or healthcare team could have intervened. Were there any missed opportunities for these young people that could prevent them from sitting in front of me? And with, without exception, I'd ask, when was the first time somebody asked you about your sexual orientation or about your gender identity? And they would say, here you know, during my encounters here. So many of these young people had been in the foster system, had definitely been to routine pediatrician uh, visits, and no one ever asked them the question. And that always struck with me, that that our, even though training is moving, you know, we're, we're now training medical students and residents about the importance, both clinically um, and socially, of asking taking a full sexual history and asking about um, questions of identity, it's still not making it into practice. And so for LGBT folk who are, who are trying to access care, there's the fear that either their presentation is going to be met with condemnation, disgust, or at best ignorance so that people that they'll be ignored this part of their identity. Um, And, and even in, I think our most well-meaning providers, that's still the case. So I think the younger people who are just emerging from training will tell you, yes, we got a lecture on on transgender people, we got a lecture on um, the sexual history, but we're missing that connection um, to practice. And I think you know, if we're gonna break down why, I think there there are those folks who who really Will never, no matter how much training or how much we talk to them about it, this will never be a part of their practice. Um, for whatever reason, there's still quite a bit of homophobia even in the medical world. So, so this isn't really for them because we don't want people accessing care from somebody who really is not willing um, to to consider these aspects. But for those people who are who really do want to better serve this population, I think are still having some discomfort. Um, and that's, it's about fear, you know, it's about um, not, it's about confusion and, and not having the confidence with language and not wanting to offend patients sitting in front of them. Um, I have my own story that I fall back on because it helps me empathize with providers who are um, new to this population. Um, and if you'll humor me, I can, I can tell you my own story. Um, But I'm a a queer identified woman. I've been out since I was 18. And I went to medical school and did family medicine pretty much for the sole purpose of caring for LGBT people, um, because of my own experiences coming of age, my own fears about disclosing to a doctor um, and the shame that brought with it. So I did a track in residency that was HIV focused. I started uh, practicing with hormones, uh, providing hormones and gender affirming care in residency. My first job out of residency was Howard Brown, which is also an FQHC, like my clinic currently, that's dedicated to LGBT people. Um, but like all FQHCs, we're also assigned people through Medi-Cal or Medicaid. So some people who have no relationship with the LGBT community um, come to get care with us. And sometimes interactions with those folks can um can be a little bit awkward you know they'll look around and look at the posters and say oh i see what's going on here i see what this clinic is um and i had a one patient during my first couple weeks there who was assigned to us through medi-cal and um, the person was very masculine presenting was wearing a, a religious necklace um, and had a very complex history of um, diabetes uncontrolled and chf and I spent a lot of time on their medical history. I got their med rec done. Um, I delved into social history. They were getting divorced. They identified as heterosexual. Hadn't started dating yet. Um, but it was a, it was a long visit, and I felt I got to know this patient. Um, They did disclose some depression symptoms. I did a PHQ-9. It showed that they they were experiencing um, some mental health challenges. So as I left, after saying my goodbyes, I tapped the, the behavioral health consultant to come into the room and just explore a little bit more about these mental health issues. Behavioral health consultant was in there for almost an hour. And so she came out and eventually found me. And she Sat next to me and she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, "So this patient made the appointment today to start hormones." And I still I still cry, you know, every time I think about it. I still get emotional because the the courage that it took that patient to come and present as they were presenting and to interact with me and and had this hope that I would be different than at other places and I fell into that trap of this is somebody who looks very straight who looks like they've been forced into the clinic here and I don't want to make them uncomfortable by asking the questions that I usually would and so I didn't I put them in you know into a box and shame on me you know and and that's something I think about often because I'm somebody who was really trained in this. And I expected most people who walked in the door to be responsive to those questions. And so I understand how the challenge that the general primary care provider or specialist's Feels when they don't know what percentage of the people in front of them might might be grappling with these issues, um, and so I think in starting these conversations, hopefully it piques some interest, and it and it starts creating habits and in our in our scripts that start utilizing and incorporating language that is more expansive and and affirming, um, and it just becomes part of, of how we practice so that we don't differ depending on our assumptions of the person sitting in front of us. Right. And, and I will share, you know, thanks for sharing that um,
0: because we all are fearful that we're going to say the wrong thing um, and offend or um, uh, embarrassed that we didn't do the right thing. Uh, I will say that my one one of my brothers is uh, gay. He died of AIDS years ago and lived with me. And uh, yet I just took the AMA module on uh, LGBT uh, and I failed and I got 60 percent. And I was like, darn, you know, here I am thinking I'm I'm a little bit more sensitive. I'm a little bit more aware um, and we have developed, as I shared with you earlier, um, a toolkit on concrete steps for small practices to address equity, and part of that, what we're talking about today, is the LGBT community. Um, so, what are the do's and don'ts? So, for a physician who wants to do the right thing, doesn't have biases, but is unaware and unfamiliar, and not uh, has not had much experience, and certainly not any training or fellowship uh, in in The specific needs of this community. Uh, What are some of the do's and don'ts that somebody in our audience might be listening to who who has a a general practice? You know, I was an internist, so I saw the hypertension and the diabetes. It was not exclusively um, for this community. So, some of the do's and don'ts, and how do we Create a safe and welcoming environment for all of our patients?
1: Yeah. So I think that the first tangible thing to do, particularly for providers who've been practicing for a while, is look at our scripts. Look at the questions that we ask in a history that we ask um, that we know just roll off our tongue, and then look for areas that might seem um, that there could be opportunities to expand. So, for instance, somebody will. Uh, um, a female presenting person might be asked, "What are you doing to prevent pregnancy?" and and that statement is loaded with assumptions. And so, picking that apart um, is is very worth it in the end, even if that person is heterosexual identifying. Um, It becomes part of the script so that it doesn't change with the person. Um, So, you know, I'll ask, "Are you currently sexually active with someone who produces sperm?" You know, that's a a question that that now I ask everybody. And I'll preface when I'm asking when I'm starting a a history with. There's there's questions that I'm that I'm um, that are very personal in nature, and I do ask everybody. Um, So please, you know, don't don't be offended or or think that I'm making any assumptions about you. when I walk into the room, and again, this is, you know, because this is a big thing at our clinic, but I, I would definitely recommend other providers consider this. I say, my name is Dr. Katie Duffy. I use she, her pronouns. What pronouns do you use? And that can be jarring for people. They'll say, like, I'm a woman or I'm a man, you know, and they'll look at me and I'll say, well, I you know, this is something that I do ask everybody um, so that it rolls off the tongue. And for people who've, patients even who've never considered this, it is a moment also for me of quiet activism, of saying there are people who are gender expansive um, within this clinic. And so me asking about that hopefully uh, incites in you the knowledge that not everybody. Is- is corresponds with the binary. Um, and, and they might, or they might not, but as the more normal we make it, these discussions with patients, hopefully the more accepting they are themselves and the safer that our patients feel, um, when it comes out of my mouth and they're able to you know answer affirmatively.
0: And I liked what you said that you, you practiced it till it rolled off your tongue easily. Um, and I remember doing that as a medical student, you know, being, uh, concerned about asking something that I would blush over, right? right? And just practice, practice um, saying it. And I I think that's very helpful. I also read in, uh, and we'll talk about resources at the end, the uh, Gay and Lesbian Medical Association has some very concrete steps, um, including name tags uh, that underneath the name tag, you could put the pronouns, so that um, if if it's uh, if most of your patients are are not representative from the uh, LGBT community, you're at least making a statement. Um, so along those lines, in the waiting room, what could someone who wants to be more welcoming do?
1: I think signs, signs stating that this is an affirming place for people of all genders and all sexualities, but. Unfortunately, I think a lot of places stop with the signs. So if a place has a sign and then the front desk person proceeds to misgender someone present who is checking in, that sign hasn't done anything. So you want to be sure that we're not just using symbols. Um, but I think, but signage is a good thing. I think m- taking a look at forms. Um, intake forms to ensure that they're not um, binary. They're not just asking about male and female. They're not just asking about um, assumptions of of heteronormativity that they're asking that they are inclusive of multitudes of gender and sexualities. and that and and I think that does strike people when they're filling those out. And then training, so training staff to, Um, in values clarification and looking inside themselves and looking at their own biases and how can they present prevent those from um, being a part of the interaction with patients. I think that's that's key. That's very important. And it has to be, you know, the 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 physician at the practice and the care teams have to make that commitment that this is something that this whole practice is willing to do and interested in doing. Um, Pronouns. Pronouns are something that it takes a little bit of time. It's a muscle. And so, you know, we have a lot of uh, patients who go by they, them, and they, them it, pronoun is someone who identifies as they, them. Initially, when somebody has never, ever tried to use a pronoun other than he or she, it you stumble and you sometimes make mistakes. Um, and for some people, they, them feels awkward because it it's not how we were trained grammatically. But it's something that becomes easier with practice, with that muscle memory. And we also have to, as we're learning, and as our practices are becoming more affirming, we also have to be honest when we've made a mistake, when we have used an incorrect pronoun or made an assumption, and and apologize, move on, and then say you're going to do better next time. But that's really important. I think why a lot of us um, don't don't start asking these questions and don't, don't start down this process because of that fear that, you know, you're going to mess up. Right. And the, I I think those are
0: really good points. And I think the, uh, it reminds me of, uh, asking the patient, how do you want to be addressed? And then, and then being consistent. So I think asking the pronouns and being humble, I
1: think, because we don't know, uh, and we don't know what we don't know. And that can be done way in advance of even that first encounter. It can be done with the intake forms. It can also be on the banner in the EHR. Um, you know, every EHR is different, but we've enabled it so that we see the preferred name. We have to have the legal name, but we see the preferred name in parentheses. Um, you can see pronouns, preferred pronouns in those parentheses as well. So there's ways that you can help your staff so that they can see that information right away. And, and sometimes these things change for a person, their preferred name or their, their pronouns. So it's still appropriate for the pr- the physician and the provider to have the conversation. But as much as the practices systems can support this, you stand a better chance of succeeding. Right. So
0: in um, patient education materials or even magazines that might be in the waiting room, same-sex um, same, same sex, um, Patient education, where the, the clearly the partners of the same sex, I would imagine that that would quietly convey a more inclusive um, experience for somebody uh, new to the practice.
1: Sure, and and you know, like education posters about cervical cancer screening that don't just include people who are are female presenting. So not, you know, language to suggest that not only women have cervixes or, or things like that, that um, that you don't often see, but does send a message about um, about your office's approach to different populations.
0: And then you, just to, to be sure that we are all using uh, inclusive forms, which you mentioned. Uh, so getting away from wife, a husband, and using the phrase a partner, and leaving an opportunity for other when, you know, female, male, other. Any other things like that? And where might we find some of those resources so that we are informed uh, correctly about the, the way we can uh, use our forms to, to be more welcoming?
1: right and, and it's a it's a challenge because we as as clinicians we do need to know the gender assigned at birth the, the sex assigned at birth we do need to know that that's clinically very important so we need spaces to be able to establish that and then also establish how this person identifies so having forms that um that have a section on on both of those things you know so allowing people to to describe themselves in the way that they, they feel most appropriate, but yes. So giving more options for gender and, and some, um, you know, some, Department of Motor Vehicles are even moving in this direction, where you can either say you know you're non non-binary, or you can give another um, another answer for that. particularly also with people who might be male-identified and menstruate. So you want forms. You know, I know that sometimes there's intake forms for uh, for females, for males. You want to be sure that your forms open up to the possibility of. Lots of people having experiences that aren't necessarily in line with what you assume to be about a gender, and I guess that also refers back to uh, a, a gender-neutral uh, restrooms, right? And that's and and you know sometimes that's an area where we get different kinds of feedback. That some people want to have um, gendered, some people want gender-neutral. Um, I think that whatever you decide, you want to be sure that people feel safe using the gender, using the bathroom of the gender where they identify and having a gender neutral option, um, even if you do have the other two, can can provide that opportunity. So for people who are using a wheelchair, they often will have, um, you know, a, there could be a separate bathroom in some offices, so have that also be the gender neutral. Right, um, and we've used a lot of
0: terms, you know, just in our few minutes that we've been speaking, where would someone who doesn't know what they don't know, a physician who wants to be more inclusive, go to really get kind of a primer on um, some of the vocabulary that uh, we should all be using now?
1: Right. So there's definitely resources. Glamour um, has a, quite a few resources on this um, I think that's something maybe the AMA we should do. We should have that overview of, of language and terms that we use because it is, you know, for many people, it's very surprising that a trans man might identify as as uh, heterosexual or might identify as straight and that those things that don't go in line with each other. So sexuality, sexual orientation and gender identity can be totally distinct. Um, and so these are concepts that um, are, are clinically important and that need to be broken down for folks. Um, I know there are toolkits out there, um, but I know internally we do quite a bit of training with folks um, on the, all the modules with LGBT health. Um, and it's it's definitely something I think that the mainstream medical organizations should be able to offer to their,
0: to them. And I, and I was, I took the, uh, the AMA, um, LGBT medical, uh, med ed module, and it was helpful and you would get some, um, understanding of, uh, and learn more about the proper vocabulary and become more familiar with it. And you mentioned GLAMA, um, which is the gay lesbian medical association, which I found a very easy to read and, uh, very helpful. For thinking of how to make my practice much more um, welcoming. And apparently you, they mentioned that you can uh, sign up in your local community so that someone can go online to find a practice. That's right.
1: Yeah. So they they identify practices that, uh, that patients can refer to, to know that they are affirming and that it's a safe place to seek care. I, I think though that, you know as physicians, I think we're perfectionists, right? And we're, we want to be the best that we can be. Um, But I don't think somebody has to have mastered all of these modules before trying to broaden the you know their their focus at their office. I think the just e- even having a little bit of information and the best intention and the honesty is the absolute first step. If someone wanted to become you know a specialist to really carve out this this uh, for this population you know then they can advance but but most providers can do small steps to make their offices and their own clinical care more LGBT friendly. We are seeing things change.
0: And um, we really need to provide that primary care, right? So sometimes, uh, what I read it, it, is it is it so that many uh, people in this
1: community don't uh, get regular preventive services? Is that that's for sure correct? That you know, the the LGBT population, we have our fair share of disproportionate health outcomes. Um, I think predominantly that that stems from. Often the trauma that people still carry with them during from the time that they were coming out or living in secret and what that process was coming out um, can cause a lot of damage that we carry with us as adults. And so we, we can be um, have a lot of uh, complex psychosocial um, attributes that go along with our physical health also though delay and prevent in presenting for care because of the reasons that we talked about this fear of having to disclose how is the uh, physician going to respond um, and if you need screenings that don't align with how we assume a person's gender should be so like trans masculine folks who need cervical cancer screening that's a population that is very likely going to not be screened because of the of the of the pain and the the trauma of having to go through that disclosure and then and then the speculum exam itself. So you'll find that there are um, that there are disparities in health outcomes based on that. I would say most gay people, queer people, can give you a synopsis of a time where a healthcare professional really offended them. And that's unfortunate. That's very unfortunate. And that's why it's so important to have these places of safety. Well, that's why we appreciate you taking the time.
0: But that also adds to, you know, we. We physicians uh, can educate ourselves and hopefully the audience taking time uh, listening to this will uh, become a bit more aware. But what about our staff? You know, we have medical assistants. They come from all walks of life. They They may have negative feelings about this community. How do you train or engage your staff?
1: Yeah, This is, you know, since we are the LGBT Center, this is something that we are very um, unapologetic about, that if somebody comes to work here, they need to be affirming and they need to use affirming language um, and they need to confront whatever biases they might have up to this point. So we have very intensive trainings um, during their, their first week of employment where they'll have discussions with folks who are trans identified and um, they'll have an, a lecture or a, a presentation on all the vast different presentations of gender identity and sexual orientation. Um, And so I think with us, we're unique in that sense. But I think with with practices that are serious about wanting to move towards um, being more inclusive and more affirming, this is something that that should be a part of the onboarding process. So looking at um, how staff patient-facing staff might have to engage with their own um, internal biases. And that's not just about sexual orientation. It can definitely include larger topics, but I would encourage uh, practices to incorporate that kind of discussion in their onboarding and having um, a module or having at least a dedicated section on um, on this issue. Hopefully
0: the audience has uh Learned a few ideas and we can refer them to a couple of resources at GLAMA, the Gay Lesbian Medical Association has a very nice primer that's open access, as is the uh, ed hub at the AMA. Any other um, last uh, suggestions or uh, anything else you'd like
1: the audience to um to take away? One area that I think is incredibly important when a primary care provider is um, is seeing folks with cervix and uteri is developing a practice of trauma-informed pelvic care um, because there are folks who are lesbian-identified who might never have had penetrative sex. There are lots of people in our community who've had a, a strong history of sexual trauma. Um, and I think this type of practice of, of trauma-informed pelvic care goes beyond LGBT folks, but I think is intrinsic um, to the care of our population. So understanding that this kind of exam for us is clinical, and we've done it lots and lots and lots of times, but that's not the case for many people. And medical trauma is real. And there are many people who can tell you stories of how it felt to have a speculum exam and how traumatic it felt, and it felt like assault. And so part of what I am trying to do at our practice, but also talk about um, on a larger front, is is how to undo that, how to stop medical trauma from happening within our clinics. You can tell a patient, walk a patient through what a speculum exam is, um, and they're brains understand, but their bodies sometimes don't. And so for providers to and physicians to, to connect with that and understand that, that this interaction can have lasting effects. And so um, that being trauma-informed, particularly about those sensitive exams is really key um, to having a safe practice. Right, And I think that uh, making sure that the patient knows they have con- the control, Yeah, that at any point you want me to stop, we'll stop. Right. And I've had patients who've cried, who've gotten tearful when I've said that to them, you know, that it, it, it this exam is uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be painful. If it's painful, you tell me, you know, and, and you have bodily autonomy during this whole process. If at any point you want to stop, then we stop. And I think using those words is is incredibly important. Not just thinking, like, oh, my demeanor sends that message. I'm being kind. I'm speaking softly. But you need to say those words to somebody who's in a very vulnerable position um, sitting in front of you. And I think that could make the difference between are they going to delay this next screening or are they going to come because they, they have this memory of having a safe encounter? I'd, I'd also say, you know, we talked about this before about specialists. So, yes. We send a lot of our patients to get assessments from a specialist for whatever reason. Lots of things going on with patients. Um, and I can't tell you how many times our patients have had negative experiences. And we're not specialists, so I can't provide that care to this patients. So it, it leaves us feeling fairly desperate that we're sending our patients out into this world and we can't ensure that they're going to be treated with respect, that their gender or sexuality isn't going to be called into question. And and that's an area that I, I think needs quite a bit of work with specialist societies. So learning more about populations and how maybe hormones might or might not interact or affect a certain condition, because we get back a lot of consult notes that say the person needs to go off hormones and that's it. And it's just untrue, number one, and it doesn't help us with the workup at all. So, you know, we're happy to partner with um, specialist groups or individual specialists in the community to talk with how um, these issues may or may not impact their overall health. Um, But the, but it is the responsibility of the specialist as well. And so I want to underscore that because I do think that primary care providers um, express this interest in in learning about these things, and they know that this is part of their care, a full sexual history, a full social history, but in the specialist world, that's not, I don't think is common. Right. And I I was
0: just thinking, um, I, I started signing my emails with and adding the pronouns and uh, a friend of mine who I hadn't spoken to in, in quite a while on, in another state, we were emailing, and uh, he said to me, I just don't get those pronouns. Uh, and so the House of Medicine, our own peers, we need to do a better job. We may not be able to change the world around us, but having a, a difficult conversation with our colleagues who we're referring our patients to so that they feel as welcome as hopefully our patients feel in our, under our care. And I want to thank you for your time, and I want to thank the listeners for their time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Duffy. Thank you for listening to this episode from the AMA's Steps Forward podcast series. AMA's Steps Forward program is open access and free to all at stepsforward.org. Steps Forward can help put the joy back into medicine by offering real-world solutions to the challenges that your practice is confronting today. We look forward to you joining us next time on the AMA's Steps Forward podcast series, stepsforward.org.